This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. Welcome into another edition of the Bar Conversations. I'm your host, Jonathan Green, and sorry if I'm a little stuffy here on the intro. It's that wonderful time of year where, you know, seasonal allergies, maybe even just the cold are going around, and, you know, it's been a little harder for me to enjoy a beverage or two, or at least get that full flavor, but I hope your week is going well. I hope you're having a good time, and I hope you're not dealing with all of this loveliness that I've got going on right now. Uh, But we do have a lot of fun uh, in this episode, though, for you. We talked to Nate Bergman who's got a new album dropping here soon for our conversation. And on our tasting notes, we welcome in a new contributor. You might know him as 911 Bourbon on Instagram uh, and some other social media platforms, or you might know him as Mikey. Uh, But he talks about how he got into whiskey and also some uh, do's and don'ts as well as far as uh, things you need to watch for uh, scammers out there. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, It's a really cool episode. I hope you enjoy it. And uh, let's not waste any more time and get to the show. It's almost time. Where did I where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> it's time for tasting notes. Joining us here for a tasting notes and making his debut here on the podcast is Mikey, better known as Nine One One Bourbon. Welcome in. Hey man, thanks so much for having me. I, I greatly appreciate. It. Well, I really appreciate you hopping on here, and you know, uh, since we want to get folks to know who you are, I guess my first question is: is how did you get into whiskey and, and all this fun stuff? <laughs> uh, I think I, I kind of got into whiskey and bourbon a little later into the game uh, compared to most people in, in the community. Uh, really didn't get into it much until like after college, right? Um, granted, like we'll always have like, you know, like maker shots at the bar and stuff like that. And we always felt like, you know, those upper class there <laughs> getting makers at the bar. <laughs> but uh, now, to be honest with you, uh, I got married in 2016. And my groomsmen gifted me a bottle of Blanton's. And I was like, what is this? It's like, this is really cool, you know? And uh, I don't even think then, like, they knew what it was. They just thought it was, like, just a fancy bottle, right? Uh, so I was kind of, like, looking into it and just went down the rabbit hole from there. Uh, you know, next thing, it's like, you know, oh, got to get on the Pappies, the V-Tags, <laughs> yada, yada. Still still working on collecting all my horses, right? But <laughs> uh, that, that specific bottle of Blanton's, uh, that one's never getting open. That stays in the back of the bar there, uh, you know, so it's that's just kind of how it all started well and then obviously you know with with anything people dive dive deeper get into different things what's been probably the most fun for you in 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 this journey and and getting to to try different bottles and probably meet meet some interesting people yeah absolutely and i would say it's that um you know definitely uh since starting this page uh i've met so many people across the u.s um, from California to Maine, it, it's just really cool. Uh, so, you know, we'll always do like, you know, sample swaps with each other and stuff and just getting to know everyone. Um, it, it's been a world that I never knew existed. And now like, I really don't know what I would do without it. Like there's been so many cool relationships that I've built, uh, just from starting, you know, drinking whiskey, and, you know, it, it's just, it's been really awesome. I was going to say, I mean, for folks that are, are getting into this, this journey, I mean, what, what would be your, your piece of advice to them? I always like to ask that, that to folks. Cause I, I feel like everyone brings a little different bit of knowledge to that. Yeah. Um, just take your time. Everything will, will come to you, you know, um, and always give more than, than what you take. Right. So just gotta make sure you, you treat everyone in the community. Well, uh, that's just my biggest thing there. Uh, Whiskey's always going to be there, uh, and it takes time to make anyway. So just kind of hang out and wait for something to show up, right? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I'd always say uh, yeah, just always give more than what you take. 
That is that is very very good advice. And then obviously one of the reasons we we got you on tasting notes and we'll have you back just for folks wondering, but he'll be back. Awesome. Um, is um, you have a, a page called Nine One One Bourbon. Can you explain what that is and how in the world you you decided to to go down that rabbit hole? Sure. <laughs> Um, so 911 Bourbon is a account dedicated to uh, exposing scammers out there in the social media world. Um, essentially, it all kind of started back in uh, latter 2019. Um, I was trying to get my personal page off of posting like you know so much bourbon and stuff. <laughs> and um, that story sounds very familiar to a lot of people I've talked to. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but essentially, I uh, was looking to do that, and then uh, one of my bourbon groups, we all kind of noticed, like, we're just getting unsolicited DMs from people like, hey, look, you know, I got these Pappies, these B-Tacks, you know, these Blantons, and they're all, you know, misspelled correctly, terrible grammar kind of stuff, but we're just, like, poking fun at them. So I think between me and the group, um, we just, like, posted our screenshots and just laughed with each other. Like, you know, like, Oh, Hey, you know, I got like a purple label Weller, you know, for sale, uh, <laughs> something like that, you know? Uh, and then I was just like, well, why don't I just use these and, you know, just kind of put those on a page and like, let's just call these guys out. Right. Um, so I was just kind of looking around and I wanted something like just really like uh, emergency service kind of thing. And so I was like looking through uh, available handles at the time and, not one one bourbon i was just like oh let's try that and it, it was available i was like really like i was really <laughs> surprised that this hadn't been taken yet so i was like you know built up the gmail account real quick i was like let's go let's go let's go let's just secure this handle and yesterday enough uh got that uh so started back in 2019 and just you know posting the screenshots of people and then it became more of um taking screenshots of their actual page that way we can identify the handle uh, for me specifically, uh, I like to do side-by-side pictures of what, you know, they're, they're stealing essentially, uh, you know, like your photos and stuff to try to make it appeal like they've actually got these bottles, right? Uh, so I always try to uh, do a side-by-side photo of the real person's uh, uploaded picture compared to this game person. Use that as bait for Instagram to hopefully pull these people down, so. Well, it's it's really cool to see what you're you're doing, and and as we, as we talk uh, again down the road, the goal will be to share with folks on little things that they can do, and and, and so forth. And like I said, you can follow him sure. at nine one one bourbon on Instagram. A lot of good information, a lot of good stuff, and a lot of ways to make sure you don't lose uh, some hard earned dollars. And uh, Mikey, I appreciate you hopping on. Absolutely, Jonathan, I appreciate being here. Man. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at HopSpirits.com. Joining us here on the Bar Conversations, he's got his debut solo album, Metaphysical Change, coming out May 20th. We have Nate Bergman. Nate, welcome in. Hey, how you doing? Really nice to be here. Well, I, I appreciate it. And if you guys want to find out more about him, go to natebergmansings.com and also on social media at natebergmansings now you know we always joke always like to make sure everyone has a drink it looks like you've you've got a good drink tonight what what are you drinking i'm actually drinking um what is a really nice uh greek brandy called metaxa Ooh. so i got a little little glass of that it's a nice it's nice for kind of nighttime hey nothing wrong with that i'm 
I, I went out, out west for, for mine on this go-around little rod and hammer slow steals out of California. They cut it with the Pacific Ocean is what their their claim to fame is, and it's not too too bad a bourbon. Um, so, so are you a brandy guy or just to kind of enjoy any type of, of liquor? Or yeah, what, what you I, I'm, I'm not super picky. Um, I, I, I'll drink a tequila if there's a nice tequila. I'll drink vodka if there's a, if there's a nice vodka. Um, I'll drink gin if there's a, a nice gin, you know. I'm Is there anything of, you ever avoid? <laughs> um, I don't like liqueur. I don't like stuff with too much sugar in it. And um, So we're not going to find you with Fireball? No Fireball, no uh, Jaeger, uh, generally no Digestives, no Fernets. It's not, it's just not, it's not for me. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Sometimes the yeah. classics are always better. Uh, that's how I feel. <laughs> the hangovers are just so brutal, the higher the sugar content, I think, is. So it's... Yes, no, I, I totally get that, and I have learned that the hard way as I get older. Yeah. I can't do what I used to do in, in my younger days. Now, I also got to ask, I saw where you transitioned from the the good, the beard kind of like myself, and now you're kind of rocking a, a, a mustache there. How, how did that come about, and, and how are you able to pull that thing off? Because I cannot. Um, <laughs> um, you know, um, I don't really know. The choice, uh, the choice kind of started, I was – Noticing a lot of uh, uh, singer-songwriters who have beards, and I've always had a beard, and I thought, what's the what's kind of that? What's a unique facial uh, expression, you know, for hair that that not everyone else has? And you know, my dad's actually had a mustache for basically my the, the, as long as I've known him, you know, so. I kind of figured I'd follow in the family footsteps, and um. <laughs> see, I, I cannot do that. And, and also, if I followed in the family's footsteps, I'd be drinking Miller Lite every night. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's tough, you know. I get it. Now, you know, we're here to talk a little bit about your music career as well. You know, what what got you into to music? Because you you've been able to do this for for a while now. What what got you into music, and when when did you get into music? I got into music probably. Around between ten and thirteen was when it hit pretty hard for me. Um, both of my parents are are really really into music, um, so it was just always we had great music in the house and great music in the car, and it, it was pretty natural at that point. And I grew up in Washington D.C., so there's never a shortage of live music. You know, it's it's definitely a live music town with a lot of venues, and um, yeah, I feel really fortunate to have been exposed to such such great stuff early on. Uh, was there anything that kind of, you know, you know, I know you were part of, of is it Lion Eyes? Is that yeah. correctly? Correct, for, correct. For a long for a good while, but now you're 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 taking a step out into the solo world. What why why go solo now and and, and how did that come about for you? Um really out of necessity, I think. Um the Lion Eyes which I love, you know, um we were around for probably between 15, maybe even closer to 18 years. And we got to travel the world and, and play music that we wrote. And we reached a certain amount of people that love the band. And um, unfortunately, it just really never went past that point where we could keep kind of sustaining it financially. It just, um, we never hit critical mass, you know what I mean? Um so as that was kind of slowing down, I felt like it was time for me to express myself 
um, musically. And um, it was really natural, you know, it just kind of made sense. And um, now that I started doing it, I, I think I'm really happy with my decision. And I don't think I'm look. I'm not really looking back. Hey, that, that, that's always a good sign. It means you're on, on the right step. How, how does that? The, the solo sound for you differ from from the the band and how how has that evolved for you um i think i think um lionize was really rooted in heavy rock and reggae and i think we had to over the years developed a certain sound and i think once you kind of have that sound as a band it's really hard to continue to evolve past what people kind of know you for right um, and that's because the the base of the band was electric guitar, organ, keys, and bass and drums. But I feel like with my solo stuff, there's no real palette. Um, there's no real um, limit to the palette that I can use to create the music, you know, because people don't know who you I am yet. have a blank yet. canvas. Yeah, I have a blank canvas, and that's really freeing in the sense of, like, I really put a lot of different... Um, textures on on the record and that is going to kind of allow me to go in any direction I want really you know Um, and most of it just starts with a piano or guitar and my voice so my voice is the is the centerpiece of what I'm trying to build I guess well I mean you talk about growing up in DC I know DC's a music town a lot of got the go-go music and oh wow okay look at you you know what's going on where are you from I'm from Lexington, but I, I know I actually worked in a radio a little bit with a guy from D.C. Uh, wow. Albie D. I, I don't know if, you, if you've ever heard of Albie D. But. Albie D., of, co- of course. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, Literally a, le- like le- a legend. So I, I know Albie, so I, I got to know a little bit of the D.C., the dawn of D.C. I, be- and the I believe Albie D. was on either he was on WPGC 95.5 or 93.9 WKOS, but I think it was 95.5. I, I it was one of those because he when I was working with him he was kind of doing some voiceover stuff for us in West Virginia when I lived there, and just loving music man man loves music and I love talking with him so I, I know a little bit that's as far as, <laughs> as my my DC knowledge okay yes, but I mean when when you're when you run up in a place like that that just loves music and kind of all genres what 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 did you grow up with and what kind of impacted you? Um, I mean sh- shit everything. I mean for me it's like. <laughs> The local influence of go-go and hip-hop and R&B and reggae was pretty pretty profound. Had, had a pretty big impact on me. And then my parents' record collection is like my dad's, like the spectrum of classic rock, Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, Beatles, Rolling Stones, uh, Creedence Clearwater, Bob Marley, Bob Dylan, Neil Young, Van Morrison. And my mom is more folk music and Motown. So she had the Joni Mitchells and the Kate Bushes and the Joan Baez stuff, but also Temptations, um, Temptations, Four Tops, uh, Marvin Gaye, um, all the girl groups of the time, um, you know, the Ronettes and um, the Supremes and um, Sam Cooke. And that, so it's really, I guess looking back on it in retrospect, it's really strange because I think my music what I'm doing now really kind of represents that, that early influence. You know, my, my parents kind of gave me everything in terms of what, uh, what I do now. 
Well, I was gonna say, what great music can can transcend things. I, you know, talking to to some folks recently about that. Just you know, it doesn't matter if it's a country song or a hip hop song. If it's got g- great good story and, and a good tune, it can kind of go across genres. And sometimes when you blend them together, some some fun things come about it. Yeah, I mean, it's really funny because I think all music is really a blend, right? I mean, there's nothing at this point now that's not blended from something. I mean, you have your core, you know, you have like Irish folk music, essentially. You have classical music, Irish folk music, and the blues. And then you have music that's like specifically Middle Eastern or music that's specifically African. And aside from that, everything came out of that. So everything's a a blend of those things. Hip-hop, country music is, is blues, you know, blues and gospel and soul. But you know, for a, a, um, a more like rural southern audience is like where it came, you know. So it's all, it's kind of all a blend anyway. So I think it, my favorite stuff anyway is such a, a mixture, you know. If you think about like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon or um, even Run DMC or the Beastie Boys, it's like hip hop, but it's certainly rock or punk rock. Um, so, yeah, I mean... I think all my favorite stuff is some kind of weird bl- blend. <laughs> well, and like I said, it, it's good music, and you know, you've been in the in the music industry a while. You know, with Lion Eyes, and and now going the solo route. What's what's that journey been like for you? To kind of just seeing how the the industry has changed over time, too. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it's really I guess it's kind of funny for me because my band came lion i started really like pre like post record label golden era of like the 90s and pre-internet age so somewhere in that weird mixture Mm -hmm. and i think that that also has a lot to do with why it didn't reach as many people as i thought it kind of deserved to at the time and um the journey for me has been great. I mean, I, I I would do something else if I didn't. You know, you hear people bitch about it, right? And it's tough, but what industry isn't tough at this point? I mean, everything's changing. If you're a truck driver, it's changing. If you're an auto mechanic, it's changing. If you're a doctor, it's changing every day. Um, <clears throat> and I think with things like automation and AI, I feel like pretty soon like I guess you'll go to a barber shop and a robot will cut your hair but <laughs> I've heard a lot of the music that is being made by AI at this point and I'm still I think it's we're quite some time away from them replacing humans so for me it's like I love this job I love meeting new people I love traveling um, and I love the idea that I get to wake up in the morning and kind of decide what my day looks like in terms of creativity well, it's a it's a perfect outlet for that, and you know you've you've been able to work with with legends. I mean, you toured with uh, Lee, Lee Scratch Perry and and others. I mean, what what's that been like working with some of those folks? So insane. Um, it's really crazy because at the time working with Lee Perry was really difficult. Um, at the time, I think I was really frustrated with the experience. Um, he was very hard on us. He was very hard on us as a band, as a backing band. Um, 
And I guess, so I will tell a real quick story about the first time working with him. It was one of many insane um, instances. So (laughs) we opened up for him at Sonar Nightclub in Baltimore, Maryland. And we were the opening band. And after the set, his wife, who's his manager, came up to us and she said, Lee loved the set and he wants to know if like in two months from now if you can be his backing band like can you be his backing band and you can open the shows as as Lion Eyes and we were like of course I mean what an honor so they send us you know they send us a set list and they send us the set list so we're rehearsing every day getting it real tight and we drive across the country in a van and a trailer because he flies to every show. There's no tour bus. It's just us. We show up. We set up. He walks in about 20 minutes before we're supposed to go on and doesn't get on stage for another half hour past that. Just so it's loose. Um, so the first night's in Los Angeles at a place called, I believe it's either it was either called The Mint or The, the Key Club. And we get, we're there early. We set up sound check. Everything's cool. We're in the dressing room. And his agent comes in and introduces himself to us. He's like, hey, you know, thanks for coming out. This is great. We're excited for the tour. And, and, and meanwhile, the tour is two legs. It's two months long. And a couple hours goes by and it's probably 11 o'clock. And the guest list for the show is insane. It's Benicio Del Toro. It's Henry Rollins. It's all these who's who in Hollywood and music are there to see the legend Lee Scratch Perry and we're the backing band and the opener. (laughs) So Lee walks into the dressing room, opens the door, looks at all of us and is like, who are these white boys? Like, who is is it? Why are these guys in my dressing room? And his wife was like, Lee, it's it's the band. You hired them. Like, the tour, this is the first night of tour. These these guys drove from D.C. to Los Angeles. We're starting the tour tonight. And he goes, no, this is not my band. Packs his stuff up, takes his suitcase, and starts walking down Sunset Boulevard. And his wife and the tour manager and the agent have to chase him down and convince him that we were the band. So anyway, we go on stage and... Not to brag, but we crushed it. We sounded so good, and he could tell the audience was really eating up what we were doing. And we kind of threw in some heavy riffs and kind of did our made it our own thing. And so he's at, at the end of the night, he's telling the whole crowd, "I picked this. This is my band. I picked them out. I picked these guys. I made you know. I brought them here." So every day was some kind of new drama, and. He was getting meaner. Um, on stage, he would he would he would veer off the set list, and he would say <clears throat> he would veer from the set, and he would basically like go into a song that was three songs later, or start singing a song that we just he ne- he never even told us about or anything. And we're kind of rolling with the punches, and then he would start saying stuff like, you know, the band's messing up to the crowd. He would start making fun of us. Or, or talking about how we messed up. And then backstage, he started to give us a hard time. And 
his he's sending the message. He, we're never talking to him. He's just sending the messages through his tour manager, and he's getting ruder. And the hospitality's messed up, and the hotels are messed up, and it just starts to become this nightmare. So we're like six weeks in, and <clears throat> he keeps disrespecting us, and he keeps making it harder. And I remember in Flagstaff, Arizona. His tour manager came to say something and I flipped. I, I lost it and I kind of put him up against a wall and I was like, you tell Lee Perry that I don't give a fuck who he is, what, what a legend he is. I don't care how much I love his music. The next thing that he does that we feel insulted by or makes life more difficult for us, we're getting in the van and we're driving home. We don't care. We don't care. We'll ruin the whole tour. We, we literally don't care. And the tour will be done. And you go tell him I said that. And I swear to God, for the rest of the tour, he was super nice and super cool. And <laughs> and it wasn't that he was scared. It's that his nickname is The Upsetter, you know? And he loves to create chaos and drama to see what people are kind of made of. And in one in one aspect, that does kind of make him this asshole. But in the other hand, it really taught me you got to stick up for yourself. You got to not take – there's only a certain amount you, you should be willing to take from people no matter who they are or who you are in the, in, in the industry. So at the time, I felt like I was really frustrated by him and I maybe didn't understand him fully. And now I really have a different perspective on it. Like it was a pretty amazing time and a pretty amazing thing that he taught us. So, uh, hey, that that is awesome, and you just—I mean, there's life lessons along the way that, that that you know you look back later in life and you go, aha, now I understand why they did it, said it, makes so much more sense as as life goes on, and you know, with those life experiences, you know, obviously you're writing new music, things like that. I mean, are you pulling from from those past experiences? Just an idea. How does how does the writing process and, and creative process go for you? For me, it's really about. Yeah, I mean, I always take notes, kind of. I have a little notebook, and I'm always writing these thoughts and and reflecting on these things. And generally, the writing process is just sitting down with that notebook and strumming a guitar and seeing what comes out. That's really, I mean, it's not much more complicated than that. Sometimes it's a guitar riff or a drum beat or a phrase that I wrote down, and yeah. I wish I had a, like a more <laughs> mystical answer. It's just very it happens to be very utilitarian. So, hey, whatever works for for e each of us. I mean, every everyone has a different style, and that's what makes them unique. You know, you're you're um, working on that on your debut solo album coming out in May. What what's that been like? Is it totally different than when you were with Lion Eyes and things like that? I mean, how's that process? Totally on? different. It's non democratic. <laughs> I call the, the shots. I'm the boss. <laughs> And if something sucks, it's my fault. There's no one to blame in this situation. Um, it's been great. I mean, I I came up with the idea about in November, the end of November, when the band kind of started to wind down, 2019. I booked a bunch of studio time, December, January, February. I booked three months, and I was basically working a night shift and then going in and out of the studio a lot. And 
I decided I was just going to hire an engineer and play all the parts myself. They're not the rudimentary demos. There's about eight songs that became turned into the record, but I played very rudimentary drum beats. I played some bass. I played guitar. I played some keys. And I discovered the sound of the album, the, the skeleton of the songs. And um, I had never done anything like that before. And it was really refreshing just to kind of start to hear the song in my head and be like, ah, oh, the drum beat should kind of be like this. And I'm, I'm not a great drummer. But we could take a loop of me playing and then just build out the song. And that demo turned into a tour. I got offered a tour from those demos in, in Europe um, with Dan Reed and Danny Vaughn. And I went over on March 1st, 2020 to start my solo tour. Great timing. I was going to say perfect timing. Perfect timing. So I got Especially five got out of the country. <laughs> well, it was really important to me at this time to decide if I was going to do music like still, you know, because I, I didn't really know if it's the thing that I had to do still, like have to do it. So I basically rented a minivan and brought an acoustic guitar and I committed to sleeping in the van and basically taking the tour for like very little money and doing the tour, sleeping in the van every night, trying to catch a shower when I could and, you know, scraping by just, just out there scrapping and I did five shows and then the shows went really, really well. So I realized that it was totally what I wanted to do. And then these two crazy things happened in, in succession was number one, my manager at the time who was Lionize's manager and now joining me for my solo career, he unexpectedly on about March 9th or 10th, he passed away at 51 just like out of the blue. So I get that phone call and then the next day as I'm headed to London to continue the tour, I get news that the whole tour's canceled and the pandemic is in full effect. I mean it really was like from like rumors of it happening to it everything was shut down. So they canceled flights and borders were shut down and I got stuck over there for a couple of weeks and that's when I knew like I got some songs in me, you know, so I, I was in a hotel in the center of Manchester and I wrote the first song that would turn into the rest of the record aside from the demos and it's called Ode to Manchester and I, I eventually got home at the end of March and the very beginning of April and I had I had 15 more ideas for songs that just from the entire experience. And so I kind of started, I had the eight songs and I said, man, I got some more tunes. I'm going to continue this process in the studio, but it was kind of hard to get into the studio. So we had to wait out the first couple weeks. And then once we knew it was okay to go into the studio to kind of keep working, it was just me and the engineer masks on the whole nine. And we started figuring out the rest of the songs and then not to be long-winded about it, but um, I realized at the time that an option to finish the record was to send people files remotely because I knew at this point 
I didn't want me to be the drummer on the record. It didn't sound very good. And I didn't want to be the bass player. And I wanted some backing vocals. And so I just kind of sat on that idea for a little bit. Um, and then eventually it, it you know, it, it started to, to take shape, the songs. And um, what you hear is the the demos plus some some new ideas that kind of came about. I was going to say, I mean, we... With with who you're able to get and collaborate with on, on the album, I mean, did you just have like a Rolodex? Well, a Rolodex. I mean, in your phone, did you just have numbers? Yeah, you know, I'm old like, enough okay. to know what a Rolodex is. Yeah, no, Don't I was worry. like, man, I'm dating myself here. Uh, are you? I mean, are you just calling up friends? I mean, how do, how did some of those collabs come? Because I mean, it's a, a who's who if people are in know these bands and and know the the talent level. I mean, it, it's a pretty impressive list. Here's what happened. I mean, it's really simple. <clears throat> I was looking for a new manager and it kind of came about organically through a friend of a friend of a friend that this guy, Paul Clegg, who I've known for a long time, he's a manager and he's ready to take me on to help me kind of figure things out. And he knew my previous manager, Brian, who passed away. And basically he, he played the demos for a couple people, sent them to people. And then people started sending it to other people. And then those people kind of chimed in and said, hey, I'd love to play on this. So Paul Paul could kind of see that people were interested. So he just started asking all the, a lot of people he works with and has worked with in the past. And unanimously, everybody came back and was like, I want to play on the record. So, so from basically the worst point of my life, musically up up until now to having you know frank Iero and um you know tucker rule and travis stever and um, mike ward played he wrote the all the mike ward wrote all the licks for the wallflowers you know i mean he's a guitar genius and he's on my record and it's you know my <clears throat> i hit up um at the time he wasn't even my friend but I started to get emboldened, I think, because all these people were on the record. So I, I hit up Tyler Bryant, who I kind of loosely knew. And I said, hey, man, you want to play play on this record? And he sent back Highway Friend, and it was some of the best guitar playing I've ever heard. I mean, it, some true geniuses on the record and um, some people that – some some Rona Rawls and Deborah Bond, who sing backups on the whole record, I, I made the demos with them, and I never even dreamed we would put this – whole record together you know we got real string section and todd bean who played with lucero for years and now plays with chuck reagan he's one of the best pedal steel players in the world plays pedal steel on it you know Britt turner from blackberry smoke plays drums on a song dan pugsley from uh badly drawn boy and skindred and he's been playing with the block party he's on the record uh pear viberg from opeth and um candle mass and it's just it's crazy well i mean I, I feel not like to name not to name drop but that's a <laughs> that's a serious guest list that's what i mean it, it it's awesome and i feel like your your maybe unofficial mantra is you know it's never gonna work but it works and how how how, how is that <laughs> how does it work <laughs> you know who coined that is <clears throat> jeff rickley the singer from thursday who's been a big advocate and a great friend um on paper, it sounds insane, right? It sounds like, it sounds crazy, but 
I think to- going back to the original thing we were talking about, which is like we love we all love music that has these blends of other things we love. So why wouldn't it make sense to just get these killer people on a record and serve the song, which is that you know they're not Frank Iero's not playing a My Chem ripoff. He's playing a blues doom song. I mean, I don't even know what you call it. And like um, Karina Reichman, who's a super, super funky bass player. She plays bass on Living on the Line. I mean, she plays like a super melodic flea Red Hot Chili Peppers country bass line. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I basically am honored just to have the people that are the best at what they do play on this record. And I think that's, most of the reason why it sounds like it does you know it wouldn't sound the same without them so well and i think it's a testament to what you were able to to work up as well and you know the the album's called metaphysical change i I feel like the the songs that are out from it right now there's such a different vibe each one of them yeah i mean what can folks expect and and why why the name of, of the album um what you can really expect from the record is great songs you know, I think it's just a record has great songs on it. Much like I think, I'm not comparing myself at all to the Rolling Stones, but when you listen to like a record like Sticky Fingers, it's got country, it's got blues, it's got rock, it's got soul. And I think at the heart of it, it's a, it's a soul record with those bl- different blends. And the name really comes from a, a big inspiration to make the record was the first time I had ever tried um, DMT. <laughs> which is an incredibly powerful psychedelic drug. And um, it, it really gave me a vision and a clean slate creatively um, on how to approach this thing. And it's a line from the song Living on the Line. Um, and the chorus is, um, you know, living on the line, almost uh, uh, running out of borrowed time, metaphysical change almost couldn't leave this astral plane and it's just about changing your perspective to move forward you know it's you gotta you gotta change perspective i i had to anyway i was gonna say i mean you're you're going from from a a band that that was kind of doing one thing and now now you're out on your own and you're also out on tour with the clutch What's that been like? I heard you even had to fill in at times. <laughs> oh, okay. So I was out on tour with Thursday and Cursive, and um, Norman Brannon from Texas is the Reason was playing guitar for Cursive and got COVID. So I got to fill in for two shows and do a few songs on guitar. Um, Joe Saucedo also filled in. Um, Evan, their drum tech, filled in for a bunch of songs he's a great guitar player and it, it was crazy it was crazy playing with thursday on stage there's such a good band and it was it was much more complicated than i was prepared to, for it to be <laughs> but it was fun just to kind of play guitar and not worry about singing too um and then my next tour coming up starting april 27th uh, i do a um a pretty good chunk of the u.s with clutch and the sword and clutch is probably one of the best bands on planet earth so honored to be there you know besides the album and the tour i guess my my last question for you is what what are you hoping for this year i mean or what can folks expect from you in 2022 shows (laughs) i'm hoping for shows and they can expect shows the thing is at this point i realize 
there's not there's not a grand I don't have a grand design. My 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 hope is to um step on stage and sing my ass off. And that's it. That's my focus. That's my singular sole focus is to write songs that I think are great that I think people will connect with and then just get on stage and be your be for real singer. Well, I think you're, you're, you've got the, the right setup with Metaphysical Change. It comes out May 20th. As I said at the beginning, find them at NateBergmanSings.com and on social media as well. Nate, this was a, a blast, and thanks for sharing your story. Jonathan, thanks so much for having me, man.